You're listening to The Special from The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. You're listening to The Retail Exchange. I'm Martin Popplewell. You join me for a series of special podcast episodes during what is unquestionably an extraordinary time. An unprecedented crisis demands unprecedented responses. In this special episode of The Retail Exchange, we explore how the COVID-19 outbreak is affecting grocery retailers. How do they overcome unprecedented challenges? What's it like for retail leaders having to make both reactive and pro-reactive decisions? And what will the potential way forward look like for the industry? We'll be exploring these questions and more as we ask leading retail journalists, analysts and those with an understanding of life inside retail to share their views only on the Retail Exchange podcast. One of the unforeseen but incredibly welcome changes that that has happened to the sector is that we've gone from kind of a general atmosphere of at best sort of antipathy towards the big retailers and you know, even independent retailers as well and we've gone from a situation where retail workers have transitioned from low skilled in inverted commas to key workers and I think there's been a tremendous appreciation across the country that people that were once looked down on as shelf stackers or corner shops have actually really become valued you know, valued workers who are contributing at the front line to the well-being of the nation, to local entrepreneurs who are putting their communities ahead of themselves. So I think this attitudinal shift, long overdue, in my opinion, has seen a transformation of the way that the British public uh, perceives retail and perceives retail workers. I think supermarkets in particular um, have been quite well set up for this, but obviously I don't think they were quite as braced for the the huge level of demand um, that we have seen. Some supermarkets are are taking sort of 50 and and 60% more in individual stores than they are are used to on any given week. So um, clearly they've been tested to the absolute limit, but it's not something that, that they wouldn't have practiced before. All that and more to come on the special from the Retail Exchange podcast with me, Martin Popplewell. For obvious reasons, none of the major UK grocery retailers were able to directly participate in this podcast. All of them took the time to respond to our inquiries. Everyone here at the Retail Exchange would like to take this moment to thank them for that and their incredible efforts to serve and support their customers and their communities. Our guests will make sense of the volatile, fast-moving and hugely complex situation that's challenging all grocery and convenience retailers, big and small. First of all, let's start by welcoming Ronan Hegarty, news editor of The Grocer, Greg Deacon, chief operating officer of NFRN, the Federation of Independent Retailers, and industry commentator and global insights director, Brian Roberts. Gentlemen, welcome. Um, Ronan first, um, can you just give me a broad picture analysis of the impact of COVID-19 on the major multinationals and and the independent retailers and the differences between those uh, two? Well, I think um, 
what we've seen is uh, probably a word that we hear an awful lot is unprecedented demand over sort of a three-week period where uh, all retailers, small and big alike, have been sort of experiencing effectively Christmas demand on a consistent basis for three weeks. And while supply chains are very flexible and, and very quick to operate, they can't cope with that day after day for, for this sort of period. So while we see that there's not necessarily a problem in the wider supply chain for people producing goods, it's just big retailers aren't able to uh, to keep them on shelf quickly enough. And in terms of the smaller retailers, it's been an interesting picture. I think it's a mixed picture. You've got, you know, tens of thousands of local shops out there. So and um, they are all getting their products, different, different supplies, different suppliers, different wholesalers, and they're all sort of dealing with it differently. In some areas, local shops have been better stocked than the malts because in this sort of panic situation, people have, have kind of narrowly focused on their big supermarkets, but in others, yeah, they're experiencing pretty much the same the same problems. And Greg, what specific issues has the situation been causing outside of the major grocery retailers in terms of levels of footfall and in regard to disruptions in the delivery of goods from suppliers? Yeah, I think I think the disruptions have been um, pretty challenging actually for all in the independent sector. The um, clearly after the supermarkets were obviously decimated by footfall in terms of you know customers going in and not seeing their goods on the shelves and then frequenting the independents. Um, the Indies have, have done a pretty good job actually um, by using their local cash and carries and simple providers to actually procure the certain items that the customers are wanting. The challenges, though, are that the the deliveries uh, are not as frequent. Many suppliers are struggling to maintain the demand that's out there. Um, you know, we've seen it recently. Warburton's have actually made a decision not to make many drops to independent retailers directly and just prioritise the wholesale or the or the supermarket. So, um, I think it's a pretty challenging situation right now. But the the independents are very agile um, and they can actually move from cash and carry or supplier. And actually what you're seeing is a lot of them actually are using their local supplier um, close to them um, because actually that gives them the ability to source locally, which actually the customers want as well. So we're seeing a lot of disruption, but we're actually seeing a lot of great work in the sector, people collaborating, working together to make sure that the products are on the shelf, um, which is good for the customer and it's good for the retailer. And, and uh, Brian, the, the fact that it, we, we might be seeing a decline in the number of people going into shops, perhaps partly because of the restrictions in terms of people having to stay at home, but also presumably partly because their cupboards are now full and, and actually the, the, they, they don't need any more of those essentials and they haven't got space for them. Yeah, I think there's a, a, you know, an aspect of truth to that. And I think what I've been seeing in stores in the last few days has been there definitely has been a big drop off in the number of shoppers. Volumes, I think, you know, per household are still quite robust. So people are buying three of everything, um, you know, going up to the limit of uh, the number of items they're allowed to buy in certain categories. And I think um, what's been really interesting to see is just the disparity between fresh and chilled on, on the one hand and uh certain ambient categories on the other so the produce industry very nimble you know it's 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 kept uh products churning out so across fruit uh fruit and vegetables there's still quite decent availability across dairy 
meat and fish still very strong availability when you venture across into the other aisles so you're, you're most notably areas like pasta flour eggs um that stuff is is, is being still cleaned up by about 10 o'clock in the morning once the stores have been opened for just two hours and what's also been interesting is you know quite curious categories like pet food uh, sanitary protection have also been stripped bare i think we're still seeing the big supermarkets playing catch up on those ambient kind of store cupboard categories uh, or non-food categories that have, have been seen huge surges in demand. I think what we saw in you know during the, the so-called panic buying uh, episode was a huge increase in shopper frequency as well as a huge increase in the basket size as well. So people were going to the stores more frequently. They were I think you know in many cases you know perhaps doubling what they'd normally be spending and there's you know lots of anecdotes out there about people doing 3 400 pounds at a time when typically you know the typical grocery shop might be 40 50 quid a week um and I think you know that frequency has certainly drops off so you know I've been spending quite a lot, lot of time in stores um over the last couple of weeks and there is you know, definitely much uh, sort of many fewer shoppers um, queuing up outside the stores um, but that said there's still quite robust basket sizes and people do seem do still seem to be stocking up on you know th- those sort of uh, notorious categories and you know taking it to the very limit of what the retailers have set. Greg the NFRN has launched its shop local shop little campaign can you explain in more detail the thinking behind and the focus of that for our listeners? Yeah, so what we were seeing and hearing a lot of was obviously a lot of mention, and quite rightly, about the supermarkets who have done a sterling job on the shop floor to ensure that consumers can still access them, and it's a credit to all the staff in that in in that sector. Um, what we what we were wary of though was there was little mention actually of the small shops, um, and a lot of small shops were closing. Um, either because they were impacted by the footfall, so you particularly saw that in London. Um, and we've seen that ourselves through our membership in terms of about 40%, 40% of our members that have closed so far have come from the London area. So we wanted to make sure that their their voice was being heard and actually consumers were seeing them as a, as a, as a way of getting the products they need, whether it was daily essentials or other items. So we wanted to make sure that the campaign was, was focused on the local element uh, and shopping locally, which actually is good in terms of people not going big distances to to travel um, from a safety perspective. But we also wanted them to shop responsibly, so hence the shop little part, um, because what we were seeing through um, panic buying um, in the supermarkets, we did not want to see that in the in the small independent shops uh, where clearly square footage is a little bit more of an issue. Um, so the, the thinking came from that, um, and we're very pleased so far that uh, a lot of the national publishers, um, if not all of them now, have, have promoted it in their newspapers, which is fantastic news. Uh, and we've seen a really good response socially as well with the hashtag shop local, shop little. Um, and we're hoping that that campaign will continue. And we're looking at ways in which we can extend that campaign uh, beyond just frequent your local shop, but actually use your local shop for delivery, um, which will be coming out with new news this week. Ronan, uh, there has been criticism from some quarters about the uh, empty shelves. Uh, my guess is your feeling is that that, that is unfair uh, criticism because it is the fault of the people that are going in there uh, and, and in buying industrial quantities of, of certain items. And that is what is causing uh, the, the problem. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 demand is something that the retailers just couldn't have foreseen. Um, this crisis has unfolded so rapidly, and the advice we're all getting from governments is, is changing every day, and that sort of fueled the uh, fueled the panic buying, along with the, the news reports, along with the social media. So, you know, as 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 nimble as I say, these supermarkets can be; they, they just had no chance on on, on this one. Um, I think perhaps they could have reacted a little earlier when it came to managing demand on certain products. I think they were somewhere a little slow to bring in limits. Um, I think they were hoping that people would calm down, would heed the advice that there's plenty of of products in store. They had the BRC and the retailers putting out letters in the Sunday press and things like that saying, you know, calm down, there's plenty of food and let's leave it to the consumers to sort of be more responsible but unfortunately that just was never the case and, and potentially it could have gone a little earlier in terms of some of those limits. We've seen some examples uh, particularly reported on social media of people appalled by some shops um, price gouging, ratcheting up prices on certain items or many items. Do you have uh, empathy for the people who are appalled at that or sympathy and explanation for the people in the shops that are doing that? Um, I think I would be on the side of the people who are appalled by that, but I would say that those people doing that are few and far between. I mean, you see an example on Twitter and it gets shared thousands of times, then it looks like this is a thing that that, that is happening across the country. But I think we, we see in terms of most reputable stores that – they are very much sticking within, you know, the 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 the, the, the recommended pricing that they're given, um, and it's it's interesting, particularly when it comes to independent stores, that they will often be part of a symbol group, the likes of Spar or Budgeons or Premier, something like that, and somebody will put something up and say, "Look at this Budgeons in such a place, it's you know charging extortionate amounts for this," and other people are going, "Well, never shop with Budgeons again, and I'll never go there again," and for most consumers, they don't understand the budgets isn't a managed chain that sets its prices across the thing. And these are just one independent retailer owning a shop that, you know, is setting his own prices and is working with budgets rather than his a you know budgets across the country sort of thing and it and so it creates quite a confusing picture but i i would sort of caution that you know for 40 or 1000 local shops across the country there there's going to be a few people trying to make a fast buck but the vast majority of people are certainly trying to serve their community and and this is a question to, to, to Greg. My understanding is that in some instances there are costs increasing along the supply chain, and that the, you know certain items are going up in price uh, inevitably. And so in some cases, some of the price rises that we may be seeing, if not exorbitant price increases, are price increases which are just a uh, a fault of of the crisis that, that the planet and the globe is facing at the moment. Yeah, I agree with Ron. I, I think for those that are trying to make a quick buck, that's not a strategy I think you can win with long term. I think the consumer will always remember, um, especially when it goes social, as it has done for the very, very few that have taken advantage of a situation. But you're also equally right that across the supply chain, many of our members' stores have seen increase in their costs. So where they were able to procure a hand sanitizer and sell it for, say, £2.50, there's been increased costs now in terms of supply and demand. And they're now selling that hand sanitizer for maybe four or five pounds. 
and that's just to maintain their margin and maintain their livelihood um, and keep the staff in the shop, etc. And I think consumers find that hard to understand and it's very hard for a retailer to explain themselves, um, whereas perhaps a store down the road is selling it two, three pounds cheaper. It's just that in that moment they bought the product at a higher price and they've had to pass on that cost then to the consumer. Um, so I think, you know, in those situations, it's very unfair on the retailer um, and we're doing all we can to sort of mitigate that. Um, but the very few will not spoil it for the majority and the majority of um, small local shops and big box retailers have done a marvellous effort actually to maintain um, product to the end user. Um, so I, I'd prefer to focus on the majority than the few um, and hero them in the sector and actually show how, how agile and how great they've been um, to, um, to, you know, to provide that service to their communities. There's been a lot of coverage of the steps being taken by the larger grocery retailers around social distancing in store. When it comes to convenience and independent retailers, many of those are operating from a much smaller store footprint. What kind of challenges does that provide in terms of keeping both customers and retail staff safe? And what sort of steps are they taking and are they able to take? I suppose we're not really seeing social distancing in a shop. And whether that will be in the big big box retailer or the local shop. So it's very hard for them to social distance. And then in the evening when they close the shop, they go back to their homes. Um, I think it's, it's very credible to see that majority of independent retailers, if not all, are taking those steps as precautionary measures. So either two or three customers at a time to enter the store. They are potentially have only got one or two staff um, actually operating the store and they're doing their best to uh, maintain that social distancing of two metres where possible. Um, clearly hand sanitizers, um, other display materials outside the shop, inside the shop are being um, advertised to the consumers to make them fully aware of their responsibilities actually when they enter the store. Um, but it's very difficult, uh, very difficult. And I think a lot of them are very wary of their own safety. Um, and we're seeing more stores each day close. And I think majority of those reasons are because of the health and safety reasons. Um, and we're hearing and seeing a lot of retailers Actually, a lot of consumers are not adhering to, to those rules and procedures that they're putting upon them um, in terms of social distancing and two at a time and enter the shop. And it's very hard for a small local retailer to administer that. Um, that also plays into the fear of retail crime, uh, whether that's verbal abuse or, or potentially physical abuse at times. Um, and we're very mindful of that as well. So they're doing everything they can to communicate to a shopper. Um, and I think it's very credible that they're doing it on their own in the main although a lot of the trade bodies and associations are out there to support them, um, they haven't got um, a head office as such helping them with that. So a lot of them are accessing ourselves, accessing the ACS and others to uh, obtain materials that can help them in their stores and communicate really effectively to their customer. Um, and I think they deserve all the credit for that. Many of the much smaller retailers will be fearful of the financial hardship that this situation may cause. What kind of assistance is being provided by the NFRN to its members to help support them? Yeah, so we, we've part of our membership, we've got many ways in which we, the members can save money and make money. Um, we've got things in the membership, whether it's legal advice, HR support, other documentation that they can use right now. Obviously, we've, we're coming out with shop local uh, delivery posters um, and actually um, advertising for deliverers as well, because there is a shortage of deliverers in the sector. Um, so there's ways in which they can um, communicate um, outwardly to their local community in terms of trying to get extra people um, working, which I think is great. 
Um, and we're also looking to launch a member relief fund, which will help members in, in, in during COVID-19. Um, we have other benefits that the membership can access, but we're also looking to launch that fund for those that are in real hardship during these times. And, and, our, and our mission is to make sure that as many members that have closed right now temporarily uh, actually come back and have a sustainable and, and thriving business going forward. Brian, longer term, what is going to be the impacts on this sector? What do you think are going to be the changes? Um, I think one of the unforeseen but incredibly welcome changes that, that has happened to the sector is that we've gone from kind of a general atmosphere of at best sort of antipathy towards the big retailers, and you know, even independent retailers as well. And we've gone from a situation where retail workers have transitioned from low skilled in inverted commas to key workers and i think there's been a tremendous appreciation across the country that people that were once looked down on as shelf stackers or corner shops have actually really become valued you know valued workers who are contributing at the front line to the well-being of the nation to local entrepreneurs who are putting their communities ahead of themselves so i think this attitudinal shift long overdue in my opinion has seen a transformation of the way that the British public uh, perceives retail and perceives retail workers um, yeah looking perhaps less emotionally at the sector I think um, you know that there have been some lessons learned so as Ronan mentioned earlier perhaps they could there could have been some red flags raised earlier about surges in demand and limits being put in place I think there might be some retrospection um, in a few months about the wisdom of having a demand-based supply chain. So, you know, what I've been seeing in stores recently is huge swathes of yellow stickers across produce departments as uh, orderings based on, you know, the previous week or two's demand, which is obviously unprecedented. So I think there might have to be a return of some actual shopkeeping and manual ordering and just a bit of common sense when it comes to how supermarkets, you know, are replenished. But overall, I think, um, you know, we, you know, in a few months' time, when hopefully this all blows over, we can look back as an industry and be pretty proud, actually, of what the big retailers and the independent retailers and the suppliers and the wholesalers have achieved in what's been an incredibly difficult time. Greg, that's an interesting point that Brian makes. The NFRN, along with other retail associations, were calling for more to be done to protect staff uh, against retail violence and crime. Do you think one positive of this situation we may find ourselves in is that customers will now have more respect for retail staff? Um, I do. Um, Clearly, that'll that'll be interesting once it happens, once we get through this. Um, I I think what we've seen... And what I recognise is that we've we've taken a lot of things for granted, actually. Things like accessing food and drink and other uh, essentials, we've taken for granted, I think. And actually, the reliance now on these store staff, um, whether they're stacking the shelves, whether in the, 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 the warehouse or, or at the till, um, these people are putting their, their lives at risk, actually. Uh, their own safety and the safety, potentially, of their family. Um, and I think... Yes, the NHS um, should be applauded, and it's fantastic the recognition that they're getting right now, um, and, it's, and it's wonderful that we've got that in this in this country. Um, but I do think there will be a, a greater feeling out of this for retail staff and the retail sector as a whole, and I also think there'll be a, a greater feeling for independent retailers. 
because those guys at their own cost on many uh, many of them have actually been very agile, offering home delivery, free sanitizers, um, procuring items for customers that they've never had before in their shop. You know, we had our, our own national president actually, who's who a customer asked for some special cheese, Evian water, and things like this, and he didn't sell them. But what he did do was go to his local supermarket and got them, and then delivered it to that elderly customer. And I think these stories will be the ones that will be remembered um, through the coronavirus. And I and I hope, and I'll see um, the sector buoyant after that. And actually, a lot of people will frequent their local retailer more so because they've actually for the first time in many years, probably gone into that shop and realised that they offer a lot of items that they need on a daily basis or on a weekly basis. Um, and I think that's really encouraging. And we're hearing a lot of stores doing very well, um, but equally we're hearing a lot of stores not doing so good. So everyone will need our support moving forwards. But I do think the, the recognition to the shop worker, whether it's an independent retail staff or big box retailer, I think will be, will be different going forward for all the better as well. A lot of Tesco's and, and other big box retailers are part of that community as well, right? So, you know, I think any independent retailer that's been able to open during, keep maintain being open during this time will be remembered by that community because that community needs them. Um, they're essential. Um, and I think the ones that will reopen, uh, whether it's a coffee shop, barber, hairdresser, I think a lot more will be thought of them, actually, after the coronavirus and, and when, whatever time we get back to some sort of normality. I think the feeling will be very different. I think it, we will stop taking these things for granted, actually, in this lockdown situation. Um, and I think we will we will start to frequent, um, whether it's the high street, whether it's the shopping parade, whether it's your rural village location, a lot more now. Because I think there's a realisation, actually, if we don't do this, we potentially will lose them. Um, so it's almost that old saying of saying, use them or lose them. But I, I do think the the independent retailer will be a lot stronger for it. But I do think that'll be because of the customers will realise and recognise their role that they play in their communities is a strong one and a positive one. Ronan, as news editor of The Grocer, have you heard any particularly inspiring stories in terms of what retailers and their employees have been doing in the, the last week or so? What we are seeing is is we're seeing everybody that can roll up their sleeves and get stuck in. We know of head office staff at the major multiples, you know, getting into distribution centres and 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 really sort of helping push the push the stock out there. The, the big chief executives and the and, and the management all sort of you know mucking in as much as anybody else. But I think I would really echo Brian's point. We're now seeing um, retail workers, and you know some of the 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 the, the, the abuse that, that that they had to, to face in the first sort of week of this it, it was just it was just really shocking. And when many of these people signed up, they would never have thought that they would be playing such a enormously vital role in basically keeping the nation going. And you know it's not as if they signed up for the army or signed up for the police or fire service or something like that. And and yet they're doing incredible work. And I think it's really important that those guys are you know really singled out and, and, and praised at this point. Ronan Hegarty, Greg Deacon and Brian Roberts, thank you for joining me. You're listening to The Retail Exchange. Jean McCabe, Deputy Chair of Retail Excellence Ireland, joins us to give an Irish retail perspective. Jean, thank you for being with us. Can you just give us a broad outline of the impact on retailers? Yes, so we have seen that a lot of our non-essential retail here in Ireland closed their doors approximately 10 days ago. 
um, driven by, I suppose, the fear factor of protecting their staff and their duty of care. Also, the fall in footfall, um, which was significant. Um, and I suppose it was a measure to try and alleviate the staff fears and also protect their business going forward. Um, there was also a bit of a social pressure to close. So if you were non-essential, uh, the consumer was um, quite aware of businesses that remained open longer, let's say, than their counterparts. So there, there was almost a social piece that you had to do your, your bit to help combat the spread of COVID-19. And a lot of Irish retailers uh, took the initiative themselves to close, um, which I suppose from uh, the government's point of view played out quite well because we know social responsibility for the spread of COVID-19 um, and people having ownership over that is one of the best ways to help overcome it. Um, I don't think anybody can prepare to close their doors for the first time ever. The Irish businesses, um, SMEs here make up 90% of the retail landscape, which is quite significant. And some of those stores that are closed now, they're non-essential. Some of them might not open again, which is which is sad to see. So um, I don't think any anyone can prepare to do what we had to do. Um, and it's completely unprecedented to lay off staff that are with you for 20, 30 years and have been completely loyal um, into uh, an environment that is so, I suppose, rocky and unstable right now. Um, nobody wants to have to do that. But it, there's going to be a time when footfall returns to our town centres and to our cities and normality will prevail. And it is then that retailers will be at the front line of the recovery. And, you know, through retail excellence, we have been lobbying the government hard to make sure that happens. Uh, and in terms of stories from the front line, from those retailers. Uh, have you heard of any particular stories from uh, employees, from people that are running the shops that have particularly stood out to you? Yes, I, I suppose everybody has their own story. Um, and, you know, we talk in retail about people being everything in retail and uh, in fairness to the Irish retailer, they have done their utmost to try and look after them. So a lot of the um, companies here, Irish and some international have continue to pay their employees in full and they've topped up the government um, job seekers allowance and 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 are able to reclaim that back but then they've continued to pay their employees in full paddy powers i heard a lovely story where they have issued that any staff member that is returning to the hse to work on the front line to help out in this um, health crisis will be paid in full um so there, there's a lot of uh Every business is doing as much as they can for their employees. We all recognise as well that we are in this together. That is the, the hashtag here in Ireland uh, set by our Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, and it's very much so a joint effort. Um, there are a lot of uncontrollables in this scenario, but there's actually one controllable that, you know, it's up to the people here to all come together and make sure we're all working together for the greater good of this. And if we do that, and the signs are already showing that our social distancing is starting to work here, um, that we will come out the other side of it without the fatalities that we have seen across the globe. And do you think there's been a change in the way that people view people that work in, in retail, particularly in, in the supermarkets and, and in those small grocery shops, that they have now become absolutely key workers? Yeah, they're, uh, they're our heroes in one sense, yeah, 100%. You know, they're at risk the same as anybody else. And I'm sure the fear factor of spreading it to family members and elderly um, is on their mind and they're very conscious about that. A lot of the retail uh, groceries and pharmacies and all essential retail um, have been recruiting quite heavily here in Ireland and the government and retail excellence have been helping with redeployment of employees into those areas um, to help with the, you know, the 
I suppose the inevitable that staff members will end up getting sick and having to go out sick. Um, and that's going to be a challenge going forward. But they are, they're, they're the unsung heroes in fairness. It's not easy and it's a very, very busy time and stressful time for them. If you think about the logistics and supply chain and the demand on that right now across the board is so significant. So um, retail and the retailers are open, even though they're they're good and busy. Um, it's not an easy job. And I'm sure they would rather not have to be facing into this crisis on the front line like they are. But in fairness, they've really stood up to the mark. Jean, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Still to come on this special episode of the Retail Exchange podcast. We've got to understand in all this that on a, on a normal day-to-day basis, um, the, the supply chains, uh, distribution network and stores and businesses are trying to battle constantly to reduce inventory levels. Uh, because it, it costs a lot to hold a lot of stock in terms of working capital. So the day-to-day normal run of the mill would be to reduce stock levels and reduce stock levels as much as possible. And therefore then supply chains get tighter. You see this unprecedented spike in demand without planning and, and uh, it takes a little bit of time to catch up. What I would say is the supermarkets are, and, and the colleagues working tirelessly to do that of you know, have caught up significantly uh, after mobilising all of their resource quickly, you know, within within quite a short, short space of time. We're so accustomed to having really fresh produce and a real big array of fresh produce available to us that when this is under pressure, there's going to have to be some kind of need of potentially throttling back of, of what is realistic to be able to get through if, if you're focusing on a higher volume of a smaller amount of things just to keep things moving and and that's something we haven't seen yet but I would predict as we as we move into the following days and weeks could happen. I think supermarkets in particular um, have been quite well set up for this but obviously I don't think they were quite as braced for the the huge level of demand um, that we have seen. Some supermarkets are are taking sort of 50 and 60% more in individual stores than they are used to on any given week. So um, clearly they've been tested to the absolute limit, but it's not something that, that they wouldn't have practiced before. During this turbulent time, all of us are facing new challenges and trying to do our best. And it's not easy. So spare a thought for the business leaders and employees working within grocery retail faced with unprecedented demand, pressing challenges and the need to mobilise operations at a speed and scale that no one could ever have imagined. Joining us now is Luke Tugby, editor of Retail Week, to discuss why grocery retailers and in particular those on the front line in stores should be viewed as heroes for their tireless work to feed the nation. So, Luke, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Can you just first of all put into context the kind of responsiveness and the agility that's been demonstrated by retailers to deal with this crisis? I mean, it really has been incredible. I think it's easy for some people to go into supermarkets and see empty shelves and think that they're not doing enough. But Supermarkets already run on on quite a lean structure, a lean number of people, but they've 
done things like shutting down counters in stores, moving people off of butchers and fishmonger counters onto the shop floor. If you look at what John Lewis Partnership have done, they've moved uh, people across from John Lewis department stores and into their Waitrose grocery stores. Sainsbury's have done the same, moving people out of Argos and into its supermarkets just to help put more people on the shop floor and, and serve customers directly. Um, but they've also been incredibly nimble within their um, job application processes. If you look at people like Tesco, they're now able to process an application in just one day and get someone from that first application form stage to actually working in a store really, really quickly. And obviously at a time of crisis like this, that's going to be hugely beneficial, not just to businesses, but to consumers. And and has there been any kind of preparation and planning for something like this? Because doctors and medics have long been aware that there could be an illness like COVID-19 and have thought about how the NHS would deal with this. Are you aware of there being any kind of of planning for something like this within uh, supermarkets and retail? Yes, supermarkets absolutely will will war game these sorts of scenarios quite regularly, if if you want to put it that way. Um, There's an analyst at at Bernstein, um, Bruno Montaigne, who actually used to be supply chain director at Tesco, and he put out quite a detailed note a couple of weeks ago, just sort of looking into um, what might happen. Um, Obviously, the supermarkets have had the if you want to call it a benefit, that they've been able to sort of test these kind of scenarios because of their Brexit planning. Um, They obviously expected us to come out of the EU on a couple of occasions um, over the past year or so. So they'd already um, had a bit of experience at building up some higher stock levels and preparing shop floor teams for some additional demand. And even back then, we saw things like toilet roll start to fly off the shelves in the same way that they have done over the past couple of weeks. So I think supermarkets in particular um, have been quite well set up for this. But obviously, I don't think they were quite as braced for the the huge level of demand um, that we have seen. Some supermarkets are, are taking sort of 50 and 60% more in individual stores than they are, are used to on any given week. So um, clearly they've been tested to the absolute limit, but it's not something that, that they wouldn't have practised before. One is very mindful when one goes in supermarkets that you are aware that there are a, a significant number of people in those supermarkets, staff who are having lots of contact with customers. How concerned are you about those people in those stores and their ability to be able to social distance? I think a lot of retailers, grocery retailers in particular, have stepped up on that front um certainly into the since lockdown came in i think um in early to mid-march there was certainly a case of it was just an absolute scramble of of customers coming through the doors and you can imagine that you would have probably been quite concerned if you were a member of staff at that particular point but i was in my local tesco just this morning just to pick up some supplies that, that we needed here and um that they've really stepped up their game they've got um black and yellow tape along the floors which are spaced two meters apart which shows where customers should be standing if they're in a queue um, i think people like morrison's aldi and, and lidl have installed um, plastic screens uh, in front of um, people who are working on the checkout. So that will obviously 
put a bit of uh, distance, if you like, between them and the customer. And those things are happening really, really quickly at the moment. Were they slow to do that initially? Potentially, you could argue that. But I think these these measures are really starting to come into force now and will only step up over the, the coming weeks. And you've you've mentioned some of the things which are now being done properly. And, and I think probably all of us need to be a little understanding that everybody is learning on the job, as it were, in terms of what specifically needs to be done and not done. But without naming names, are there things that you would highlight that have been mistakes which really shouldn't have been made? <laughs> uh, there are a few retailers that I could name. And actually, there were a couple that I did name uh, in, a, in a column that I wrote um, a couple of weeks back. Um, there are people like B&M and, and Sports Direct who whether intentionally or not, have, have come across as businesses that are putting profit before their people. And clearly, at a situation like this, that is not a good look. Um, B&M, I think, were, were quite stringent in terms of saying that they weren't going to pay people who were um, staying at home and didn't want to work. Um, and I think those who were self-isolating were only uh, able to get statutory sick pay uh, and you compare that to some of the grocers who have put funds aside and said that people will continue to be paid even if they are self-isolating or looking after uh, an elderly or vulnerable loved one um, and there are also companies like um, John Lewis who have put a, a £1 million community fund together um, AS Watson which owns Superdrug has put I think it's £40 million aside to help um its colleagues who might be coming, you know, into into hard times and struggling to make ends meet, and ultimately, I, th I think it is those sorts of businesses who are actively putting people before profit, um, rather than someone like a Sports Direct who was trying to claim that it was an essential retailer when clearly, at a time like this, it isn't. Um, I think it is those businesses who are being a bit more altruistic, um, who hopefully customers will will remember when we come out of this the other side. Luke Tugby, Retail Week editor, thank you very much for joining us. Demand forecasting is commonplace within grocery retail, but no one has ever seen anything like this. What are some of the biggest issues facing supermarkets right now and how are they likely to be tackling them? To find out a little bit more about this, I'm joined now by Mike Exley, former head of logistics at Morrison's and previously also a distribution director with Tesco. And alongside him is Craig Summers, managing director of Manhattan Associates. Mike, Craig, thank you both for joining us. If I can turn to you, Mike, first, can you give us an insight into the logistical and supply chain challenges that grocery retailers are facing right now? All businesses. Uh, have um, business continuity plans in place and uh, can invoke those plans at fairly short notice, which is, I guess, why we are seeing now, um, a week or so on, the shelves starting to fill up uh, and, and the businesses starting to be able to supply more products and more volumes uh, into the stores and therefore for customers. So absolutely, it, it, it's just about the, the initial spike that, uh, that they would have seen with more customers buying more product and certainly some people even panic buying high volumes of product that that would have had such a big knock-on effect that uh, it created that spike and therefore the, the stores would have been and the supply chains would have been chasing that 
that spike in demand. Craig? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's unprecedented because Christmas is one of planning, one of knowledge throughout the year. In fact, any peak trading is is typically well planned um, and and known about in advance. Obviously, things are seasonal. Retailers are pretty good at re- adjusting to other kind of more impromptu seasonal demands. But this is completely unprecedented. And I guess, Craig, part of the reason why we're seeing a, a, a slight easing up in terms of the panic buying is because people's cupboards and uh, and every other uh, storage area is now full. It's interesting, isn't it? We, we Even if you were to have been able to do perhaps a bit more accuracy in the demand forecasting, would we have expected the level of, of, of initial spike of panic buying? I don't know. But also the things where there have been sort, uh, shortages and, and the one where the internet is probably full of the most jokes, but it's but it's it's not really funny to some people. Is 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 loo rolls, of course. Um, but who would have thought that would be something that would immediately kind of not have supply? Something that isn't naturally perishable. Something that isn't particularly efficient to store because it takes up quite a lot of space. But it but it's very difficult to predict what what would have been required. But it is probably fair to say now a lot of people are pretty well stocked. If you can, if you compare what has um, been the level of sales over the past couple of weeks compared to what normal sales would be at this time of year. The other point on on what Craig's saying there is that, uh, particularly with the example of loo rolls, is they take up a huge amount of space throughout the supply chain. So if you think about warehouse space, uh, vehicle space, uh, shelf space, these products are large and therefore an increase in demand not only creates a, a, a pressure on the supply chain, but the actual volume of product that they have to move through the supply chain you know, doubles, trebles, quadruples very quickly because of the sheer size of the product. What we've got to understand in all this, that on a, on a normal day-to-day basis... Um, the, the supply chain's uh, distribution network and stores and businesses are trying to battle constantly to reduce inventory levels uh, because it, it costs a lot to hold a lot of stock in terms of working capital. So the day-to-day normal run of the mill would be to reduce stock levels and reduce stock levels as much as possible. And therefore, then supply chains get tighter. You see this unprecedented spike in demand without planning and, and uh, it takes a little bit of time to catch up. What I would say is the supermarkets are, and, and the colleagues working tirelessly to do that have, you know, have caught up significantly uh, after mobilising all of their resource quickly, you know, within within quite a short, short space of time. And, and Craig, what would you say are the other practical challenges when it comes to supply chain? Um, I think building on Mike's point there, that that's absolutely true, and 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 people try and operate an efficient just in time, but we're so accustomed to having really fresh produce and a real big array of fresh produce available to us, that when this is under pressure, there's going to have to be some kind of need of potentially throttling back of of what is realistic to be able to get through if if you're focusing on a higher volume of a smaller amount of things just to keep things moving and and that's something we haven't seen yet but i will predict as we as we move into the following days and weeks could happen 
And in terms of warehouse management, what does this mean in, in terms of implications for that? Well, and, and this is right at the heart of our business and, and we're, we're doing everything we can to be there to make sure our customers are, are supported at, at, at a time of their need and certainly not wishing to, to, um, to, to profiteer from it. But, it's, but there's a couple of things I would say. Um, resource in warehouse is under a lot of pressure, i.e. the amount of people available, trying to keep shifts separate so there's not any risk of cross-contamination between shifts. And actually, the turnaround time of of um, produce and goods coming in um, and going out is 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 accelerated. So, the efficiency of the operation is 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 absolutely critical at this time. And, and my my understanding is that that another area which is going to be severely impacted on an ongoing basis for for the foreseeable future is that the fleet and transport management aspect of this. Can you unpack a bit in terms of what's happening there, what needs to happen there, and some of the challenges? You're absolutely right. The the, the thing about uh, fleet is it, it's a finite resource, so um, all of a sudden businesses can't magic more trailers and uh, trucks to transport their products so what we've seen which has been brilliant is the um, collaboration between businesses competitors even to transport goods from suppliers to warehouses from warehouses to stores what they will have done is they will have taken every single available trailer and truck that they have uh, back into circulation so these they may have been repaired getting repaired they may have been mothballed for cost purposes uh, they, they would have been brought all out of retirement and put back on the road and then some of the big uh, transportation networks would have been called upon to provide as much uh, kit as possible to the supermarkets and as I say yesterday I saw a Morrison's trailer being transported by a screw fix um truck which uh, which just shows a collaboration a downturn in one business an upsurge in another and and businesses getting together to collaborate and, and use their kit for the for, for those purposes has the sector been able to look to china which of course was first affected by this were there things which were observed from the way that they dealt with with the issues, which, of course, in many respects were the same, uh, and learnt from them? They they absolutely uh, will have will have done. Um, interestingly, you look uh, across different parts of the world, and panic buying or stockpiling has been different, and the behaviours have been very different. Um, you know, in China, in Italy, in America. So, uh, and, and retailing in China uh, is very much geared towards smaller convenience stores and people buy little products more often. So certainly they would have learned some lessons, um, but also there would have been very different challenges in those, in those countries also. Can you uh, give us some background on the, the kind of things which are happening in terms of the availability in, in supply chain and, and the demands and problems and challenges that that's posing, Mike? Yeah, I think um, the good news is for, for British business, particularly, for example, in Morrison's, is a lot of their uh, product is, uh, especially fresh product, is, is manufactured and processed within the UK. Um, however, there will be uh, pressures on imported products, especially from those countries 
um, affected uh, the worst, like Italy. I've seen um, border controls being lifted and relaxed. I've seen uh, actually the road network getting slightly easier uh, uh, in this particular time as less traffic uh, is on the roads and therefore goods getting through um, quicker. So, um, perversely, it's kind of, in some respects, had, had the opposite effect and, and kind of freed channels up, uh, which is, again, why we're seeing now more products within the supply chain, more product getting through the distribution centres into the stores at a quicker rate. Of course, there'll be some products which are um, just won't be available uh, because they can't get them out of the country. Um, but there, there, there's enough um, uh, varying range of different products to be able to kind of cope with that once we get through the this initial spike. Uh, Craig, What's the impact for promotional planning for retailers uh, going to be on this? Uh, I'm thinking about things like Easter uh, and other dates in the diary. Yes, yes, and and actually, I I I, I think for the for the well being of of the nation, it's still important we're we're in a position to celebrate these things and and, and do that. And actually, I I think it will be a a good thing. Um, to, to, to keep that sort of normality in life, I, I guess that would sit far more in the in the more accustomed seasonal planning. Whether there'll be a particular run on Easter eggs, who knows? Um, for instance, but at least from a planning point of view, there's 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 more certainty there that it, it, it's 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 a known demand. I use Easter just as an example. Um, but but my gut feeling is um, retailers generally will want to. Try and try and see because we're talking very much about grocery here. But but if you look generally at, at, at retailers, they're hit pretty hard, as we know. And and anything that might encourage a little bit of a a little bit of a spike um, in other goods would be very welcome, I think, for retailers generally in the UK. I think adding to what um, Craig just said, I think the retailers will will be looking uh, specifically now to reduce volume promotions so you know where whereby previously they may have encouraged and and certainly been gearing up for volume promotions i think they'll be looking carefully on probably uh, reducing the amount and, and discouraging volume so that they can and they're able to produce enough of the products across the range uh, for customers to buy uh, rather than kind of trying to drive more footfall into certain categories Craig Summers, Mike Exley, thank you for talking to us. That's all we have time for on this special episode of the Retail Exchange podcast. Thanks to all our guests. Hopefully the day is not too far ahead when we can have all of our guests back with us around the table face to face. And thanks to the production team for making this episode possible. My name is Martin Popplewell. Thank you very much for tuning in. Look out for one another and stay safe. You've been listening to The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast.